Coach, what a momentum shift. How huge was that Xavion Thomas touchdown heading into the locker room? That's big. I mean, every play is important in a game like this. So, uh, yeah. You've been speaking to the officials all night. What's your reaction to some of those calls in the first half? What's your reaction? You're watching the same game I am. <laughs> uh, I think you ought to comment on it uh, positive or negatively, whatever's running through your mind. Well, Coach, I mean, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I watched the game. I mean, we have our own interpretations, but when you're asked a question, can you can you give us at least a coherent answer, please? <laughs> Mike Leach, of course, the gift that keeps on giving here, especially as we're nearing the holiday season. Hi, I'm Greg McElroy. Welcome to Always College Football. Today is Monday, November 14th. We hope you're enjoying the show wherever you're getting the show. It's on, on the podcast. Or if it's on the ESPN YouTube channel, we really appreciate it. Please like, rate, and subscribe. It helps us out. It helps the show out and tell your friends as well. We have a big plan today, but it's a Monday show. You know what we're going to do, right? We're going to break down all the matchups, the key matchups from this past weekend, hit you with a couple key numbers, hit you with a couple stats, talk about how things could shake out moving forward. We're going to play some low-hanging fruit. And we're going to talk a little bit about the chaos that currently lives on the West Coast when it comes to college football. No, the Pac-12 is not dead. I'll explain, but it might be on life support, at least at the moment. So let's not waste any more time. Let's get into some of these breakdowns. Let's talk about it. All right, let's start out West where there were some serious shakeups. Not one, but two of the Pac-12 playoffs hopes were essentially dashed right there in the blink of an eye. You had Washington, who went to Autzen Stadium and ended what was one of the best home win streaks in all of college football. And not just, gosh, a couple hours later, UCLA's hopes dashed against that of the Arizona Wildcats. I think both games were very surprising results. I thought Washington could keep it close, but to win it at their place, I told you I thought if it was in Seattle... They had a really, really good chance, but at their place, there in Eugene, a place where Oregon had won how many consecutive games, I just thought it was going to be a very tall order. However, we did talk a little bit about how Oregon's pass defense had been somewhat susceptible, and that certainly proved itself to be true, as you see what Michael Penix was able to do. 408 passing yards, second player in Washington history to record multiple 400-yard passing games, the other was Cody Pickett. He did it four times. So Michael Penix, phenomenal. Throws all over the field, showcasing a strong arm, very accurate. I think they're better running the football than I had anticipated. And two, I thought that their defense, I thought they'd been a little bit leaky here in the last few weeks of the season. It wasn't the case, though, man. That was a very impressive performance. Now, some people will point to, well, if Bo Nix were healthy, from start to finish in that game, would the result have been the same? Perhaps, but how many times are we going to play that this year? I mean, okay, well, if Kansas State stays healthy at quarterback, do they beat TCU? If Texas stays healthy at quarterback, do they beat Alabama? I mean, like, how many different times are we going to look at this whole? Well, if they stayed healthy, then the outcome would have been different. Sure, maybe that maybe it would have been. I don't know. All I know is that Washington had arguably the best player on the field on Saturday. That man was Michael Penix. Washington, in decent shape, still some help and some work to do to potentially get back into the Pac-12 playoff mix, but Pac-12 championship mix, I might add. But this is huge for their resume. It's huge for Kalen DeBoer. 
And I couldn't be happier for their program and their fans to finally have, a, a, I guess, a product that hasn't been super consistent, but at least you kind of know what you're going to get when they show up each and every week. Now moving down to UCLA, and this one was inexcusable. This was pure look ahead. UCLA plays SC just next week. SC, of course, rolled on Friday. UCLA, they got caught going against a team in Arizona that has some firepower, has some experience, especially a quarterback, has some magic, especially a quarterback, and it really bit the Bruins. Defense just really couldn't get any key stops. I mean, there were a number of different instances in which you're sitting there in UCLA. They just had to get a stop, and the game could have been really flipped on a stop or two, but Jaden Delora, he just continued to make plays. He was able to continue to extend and throw guys open and do some magnificent things with, you know, he's moving around and just being athletic and being scrappy. He's just total chaos every time you watch him. Jane Delora, as far as by the book, not exactly the way that you could kind of teach a quarterback to play. It's just, he's all improvisation. He's so unpredictable, though, that I think it really benefits Arizona, and I think it really benefits his offense because they're not great up front. They're not great at wide receiver, but him being able to run around and create and extend plays and make off-schedule plays, I think that's probably the best attribute for the Wildcats at least at this point. As far as UCLA's offense is concerned, you know, if you look at what they have in Zach Charbonnet, I know that people, and, and look, we, we're we going to have a conversation about the Heisman at some point. Like, I think it's so archaic and so ridiculous the way it's been rewarded and how so much of the attention in the college football world goes towards teams that are in the playoff hunt. So who are the guys that you're talking about all the time in the mainstream media? You're talking about the C.J. Strouds, the Bryce Youngs. Those are the guys that get the attention. I think if you were to dive just a little bit deeper, Dorian Thompson-Robinson would absolutely be in the mix. And if you look at some of the other things that they do offensively, you can make a case that Zach Charbonnet is really the most important player. You could definitely make that case. And his absence was missed there for a bit, but him being back was a sight for sore eyes with how he can run and effectively break tackles, it seems like, every single game. But a great win for Arizona. This was a huge win for Jed Fish and their staff to just show, hey, man, it hasn't been great. It hasn't been by the book. It hasn't been, you know, practical with how they've approached each and every game. Man, they're sitting in a great spot right now, though. Year two, Jed Fish, you can already see some of the offensive minds that are, are coming together there. And they're, I think, probably going to be pretty good down the stretch. I'm not sure they will compete for a national championship. I don't even know if they'll compete for a New Year's Six Bowl game. I know they went to one back in 14, so you don't need to remind me. Like I know they're not that far removed, but I do think under Jed Fish, this team will be scrappy. It will be kind of a difficult team to play and one that you don't want to sleep on. A little bit like, in some ways, Washington State was for a very long time. Yeah, they had years in which they were elite, amazing, terrific. But they also had years where they were like four and eight or six and six, and they'd knock off a team that was ranked in the top 10, or it felt like at least. So I think that they're in a really good spot and should feel very good about the hire they made in uh, the hire that they made in Jed Fish. But now I, I think it's going to be about improving the personnel and maybe being a little bit more methodical with how you attack the opposing defense on a down in, down out basis. 
All right, moving over to the Big 12, and this was one I did not see coming. I, I didn't. I thought this game had a chance to become a track meet. I thought both teams were going to score easily. I thought both defenses might have their hands full. I couldn't have gotten this one more wrong. TCU over Texas. I had Texas winning the game. I thought TCU would not be able to match the physicality that Texas was going to bring to the game. I didn't think it would happen. I thought the Texas was going to be more physically imposing among both lines of scrimmage. That was not the case. TCU took the fight to them, and it was wonderful to see. I mean, wonderful to see. Look, all of us, I had had my questions. I'm sure many of you probably had your questions. I'm sure there are plenty of fans, even that love TCU, had their questions. Like, all right, how will we handle a road environment when we're, the, when we're sitting there in the fourth spot and all the pressure's on us and Texas can play freely and go out there and throw the kitchen sink at us. Like, I mean, I think just about everybody probably associated with TCU is like, man, this is not a good setup whatsoever. But they played beautifully, man. I mean, absolutely beautifully. They held Texas to under 200 total yards of offense. That's the first time since 2015 against Notre Dame. And if you look at, you know, how things went, they were shut out, shut out in the first half at home for the first time since 1997. That was against UCLA. So very impressive start for the TCU defense. And then on the other side, they really did a pretty good job. Quentin Johnson, it was great to see him back in the lineup. Kendry Miller continues to do amazing things. The guy's just an unbelievable football player. He finished with 138 and a touchdown. He has 11 straight games with a rushing touchdown. That's the second longest streak in TCU history. I bet you can probably imagine who has the longest streak. That's right. It's LaDainian Tomlinson. Anytime you're on the same list as LaDainian Tomlinson, you're clearly doing something right. So allow me to say this to all the frog faithful out there. I'm sorry I got it wrong. I didn't think you guys would be able to throw haymakers back at a team that was throwing haymakers at you. Not only did you do that, but you mixed in some uppercuts as well and dropped the Texas Longhorns in rather convincing fashion with how they held up there. Was a fairly significant lead before Texas scored that touchdown at the end, and all the fans kept running back into the field, right? Like back into the stadium, like, oh, we can't miss it. We're making a run. No, it was a little too little too late. So a ton of credit to TCU. You are appropriately ranked there at number four. Sky's the limit. And I think everything that you can accomplish currently sits right in front of you. But another tough test comes up this week. Another tough test will follow that. And then potentially playing a rematch against a super, super high-quality division opponent like Kansas State. You're going to be set up for, for some challenges. That's for sure as you move forward. Matt did they do enough? Did TCU do enough to maybe move up to the three spot? I mean, look at the, they beat so many ranked teams. They just went to Texas. Michigan, the, we, everybody knows about their resume. Do you think the committee will move them up? No. I mean, Michigan just won by 30. Uh, and clearly, I mean, don't get me wrong, TCU has been impressive. I thought they were painfully underranked in the first matchup, in the first rankings release. I thought they were heavily underranked last week, uh, even though I wouldn't have them ahead of. Michigan, but I don't think TCU is necessarily worthy of all this criticism. And I don't think they necessarily got criticism last week. I think a lot of us were just wondering, all right, if this thing becomes a fist fight in the alley, can TCU hang out, hang on like that? Is that is that a pathway to victory that they can use and be better at 
than Texas. Not only did they do it, they were better than them at it, and they won the game on Texas's terms, and that's saying an awful lot. All right, the Ole Miss Rebels gave it all they had. Got off to a great start, led by at least double digits, but Alabama did what Alabama does. They are now 8-9 and nine when trailing by 10 at any point in the game in their last 10 seasons. So they are in a great spot, Alabama is, to always come back. This was an interesting game. It was kind of an odd game in a lot of ways. It just felt like a little bit of a game of runs. The first quarter, I'm not sure it could have been worse for the Crimson Tide. You saw Bryce Young finally. I hadn't really seen him show a lot of emotion on the sideline, right? First time I've seen him really show emotion on the sideline and issue challenges to a lot of the other folks that are on that offense. Man, I was very impressed. I thought I thought the leadership and the display of leadership felt much stronger this week from the Crimson Tide. That was a difficult environment against a good team, and yet they found a way to get it done. It was far from their best effort. It was sloppy. They had a couple turnovers. They didn't do a great job in protection. I thought Bryce made some superhuman plays by moving in the pocket and extending plays and finding guys as they were uncovering, but it still wasn't the crisp, clean Alabama that we've come to see in the past. But the effort was terrific. I thought they played much better at wide receiver. thought their effort there was very, very solid. I thought they played pretty well in the secondary for the most part. But the effort there was very solid. They left some plays on the field. But either way, effort was very solid. And then, of course, up front, it was almost as if a challenge was issued this week to the defensive line on the interior. Like, hey, man. When are y'all going to show everybody that this is an Alabama caliber defensive line? Not only they, Matt thought that was one of their best games, especially as the game went along, getting a little more comfortable and a little bit more comfortable and having an effect on not just Jackson Dart, but the entire offensive line as a whole. So I was very impressed with the Alabama win. I also like, too, they were with the run game. Of course, they lose Jameer Gibbs, ankle injury, limited workload in this game. But either way, if you look at just kind of where Alabama was going into the game, it was like, well, Bryce, go make a play. They they definitely tried to be more effective running the football. I still think they passed a little bit too much for my liking, especially knowing the defense that they were going against. I would have tried to lean, pound, and kind of wear out Ole Miss more so than they did. But either way, it was a very solid performance. I mean, People get kind of wrapped up, and we I do, we all do. We get wrapped up when evaluating the Bamas, the Ohio States, and all these other teams. Like, man, if they don't win by 30, like, what the heck's wrong? Like, they should win by 30. Yeah, it's, it's difficult, though. I mean, you're playing against a really high-quality Ole Miss team that has tons of motivation. It's their coach used to coach at Alabama. There's no love lost between the coaching staffs at either place. So I think that this was going to be a very difficult game, and I thought Lane was going to put together a pretty interesting plan, and they did. So good win for Alabama. Nothing to feel terrible about by any stretch. There are some things to clean up, but ultimately getting back off the mat, even in spite of the disappointment you experienced before the game kicked off when Georgia and LSU punched their ticket to the SEC championship game, you're not going to be playing here in a couple of weeks on Saturday. So I think it would have been tough to kind of rally the troops and think that that might have had a slight hangover effect. But ultimately, by the time the game ended, they were in a pretty good spot. 
and made some nice plays on defense to essentially put it on ice. Lions, Tigers, and tailgates. Oh, my. The college football season is always a great time of year. Besides the jerseys, the face paint, and the foam fingers, there's the food. And nothing gets you more fired up for game day than Eckrich smoked sausage. They're naturally hardwood smoked and have the perfect blend of spices. From buffalo sausage dip, sausage, chili, mac, and cheese, Eckridge Smoked Sausage is a quick way to bring flavor to all your tailgate meals. Visit Eckridge.com for easy, one-of-a-kind sausage recipes. Eckridge, you do you. Every college football season, Goodyear knows the importance of winning on the road. The road will always demand confidence. The confidence to handle whatever the journey brings and to perform under tough conditions. And just like the players and the fans of college football, Goodyear is ready. Are you ready for the road? Visit Goodyear.com to find the right Goodyear tires for whatever road you're on this season. Goodyear, more driven. All right, now it's time to get into some low-hanging fruit. We like to do this every single Monday. A little overreaction, maybe a little bit of a shake-up. We're not putting anybody on the hot seat or firing anybody, though. So we do low-hanging fruit, but we still try to be relatively positive about it. So, Coops, let's go with it. The upcoming Big Ten championship game will be the final straw for divisions in college football. Low-hanging fruit or truth? <laughs> truth. Um, but I, I don't think this particular game is going to be that significant as far as weighing everything out, right? Because we've already been going down the direction of y'all divisions are archaic. They're unnecessary. I mean... You can tell me all day long, and we can say, well, we're protecting the geographic footprint. In, in what way? Like, in the Big Ten West, is SC and UCLA going to join the Big Ten West? And, oh, see, like, we're on the West, so no. Like, it doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The balance or lack of balance that exists at times in some leagues, the best example right now might be the Big Ten East versus the Big Ten West. It's not good for the sport. Like, you're conference championship game should be the biggest game involving your brand of the entire season. So when the Big Ten takes one team out there against team two and they go clash for a championship trophy, that should be the biggest game of the season for that respective conference. The SEC championship game matters. The Big Ten championship game matters. That's why I've always said, man, if you're going to do the playoff, Force everyone to get rid of divisions. Force everyone to try to figure out some form of schedule that could be fair. And hey, your non-conference schedule for the most part, you can play teams that finish in the same. So if you won the SEC, guess what? Next year, you're playing the Big Ten in the non-conference. So you have a good idea of where the conferences stack up, but also your championship, that should be a prerequisite to get in the college football playoff. Like a prereq. That's no questions asked. So what that does, essentially, it takes four-team playoff to a 10-team playoff like that. Why? Because the conference championship game is essentially a playoff game because if you don't win your league, you are not eligible for the college football playoff. That's, that's I think, a great way of solving the problem. It would be a little bit like basketball. be a little bit like basketball. Because you're looking at everything and you say, well, you have extra games in the postseason because you don't know, you know how these teams are all going to fare out. But I, I love the idea of totally foregoing, just getting rid of 
all divisions, taking your best teams. If you win, you advance. Simple as that. You lose, you're out. I don't care if you went 12-0 in the regular season. You lose, you're out. Why? Because it's an extension of the playoffs. So I would love to see it like that. But then again, I don't know if we're necessarily going to going to go down that rabbit hole too quickly. So you're not looking forward to the Ohio State or Michigan versus Purdue in Indianapolis Big Ten Championship game. I mean, it, the, it might be a better matchup than others have been. I it's mean, fair. I mean, I've seen Ohio State beat Wisconsin fifty nine nothing in the Big Twelve and the Big Ten Championship game. Like I've seen Big Ten and SEC Championship games, which are supposed to be the biggest ones of them all, and I've seen both that were twenty one plus point differential according to Vegas in the pregame. Like that's not good for anybody. Maybe twenty eight point differential. I have no idea. Like, does anybody want to watch Michigan run rough shot through Iowa in the Big Ten Championship game? Does that do anything for you? Or would you rather watch uh, Kansas State TCU? Obviously, I know that Michigan would probably command a, a bigger rating. Like, I get that. But I'd love personally to see games where you kind of play your way in, man. I, I think it'd be awesome. And I, I think we're well on our way towards getting to that point. Um, I would just, I don't want to see, you know, the PAC 12 North champion, Oregon dominate Arizona state, the PAC 12 South champion by 38 points. Like, I don't want to see margins like that. Those games should be between the best and the region and where your t- school is located East or West. It shouldn't matter. It should take the top two teams and it give you better championship matchups. And ultimately I think it would strengthen the field for uh, the playoff format because you would understand where the seating is. And you would understand that some of these teams might have played in the past as well. All right. Moving on. Vanderbilt's win, while amazing for the Commodores, hurts Will Levis's draft stock. Um, how could it not be true? I mean, Will Levis, I know he's beat up. And they're going to get to the bottom of all the medical and check everything and and make sure that he's at 100%. And when he goes to the combine, I mean, he's going to spend a lot of time at the Indianapolis hospital that you go to. They pry and pull and check and adjust. And <laughs> they do all kinds of stuff to these players just to make sure there's no potential issues for them as they move forward into their professional career. So if you have some type of degenerative issue in your shoulder, they're going to find that out at the combine. I'm sure... Will Levis is going to have an awful lot because of how beat up he's been, not just this year, but last year as well. But how could you possibly, like, tell me this. You have the superior roster. You are supposed to be the number one pick in the draft. You can't lose to Vanderbilt. Like, I've said it from the beginning. I think the hype around Will Levis is a little extreme. I think he's a good, really good player with amazing tools. But being first overall pick, you better be an elite player with elite tools. So I I don't see it the way some others have seen it. I understand the comparables to a Josh Allen and everyone wants to find the next Josh Allen. I understand why people have made that assumption and conclusion and stature and their athleticism and all sorts. I I would not take him in the first round right now. I wouldn't. I would, if I were him, strongly consider coming back to school, knowing that next year's draft might be a little bit more up for grabs and then potentially enter your name thinking about the possibility to be in the number one, number two, or number three pick, depending on what happens with the likes of uh, 
you know, Drake May or someone like that. Let's just set the record straight here. There's only one Josh Allen. Just wanted to make sure we're out there. I don't disagree, but like everyone's looking for the next, the next Josh Allen. Like he's the, he is the scout. Like he's the perfect quarterback in the eyes of the scouts and everybody's trying to find someone that kind of resembles him in traits, size and stature. That's fair. That's fair. All right. Moving on here with another upset in the ACC. This one, Boston College beating NC State. The conference may end up with only one ranked team in the final poll. Low-hanging fruit or truth? I would think, I mean, if you look at where North Carolina and Clemson are right now, they're in a pretty good spot to at least stay ranked. Like, I don't know exactly. I don't have North Carolina's schedule pulled up in front of me. But I would think that North Carolina is in a pretty good position to take care of business and stay ranked. I really do. I think that they're very good. I think they're very effective. And honestly, I wouldn't be that surprised if they played Clemson really tight in the ACC championship game. They might be able to exploit where Clemson has struggled at times this year with some of the downfield passing attacks. So I think it's going to be really interesting when surveying and thinking about where those two teams are at. But, man, I think Florida State could be in the mix. I mean, I think there's a bunch of teams there in the ACC that could be in the mix. So I'm going to say that's low-hanging fruit, but I would really, really like to see Clemson play a little bit better. And I'd love to see a team, you know, like Miami, who had a nice win this past weekend, bounce back and, and create some momentum into 2023. Virginia Tech, similar thing. Virginia, similar thing. But right now, man, it's – it's kind of ugly in the ACC. It's probably as weak as it's been in quite a while. Very true. All right. This one, a playoff version. Tennessee needs to worry about getting into the playoff because of TCU and USC. Low-hanging fruit or truth? Truth. I think Tennessee is in a position where they could definitely get to the college football playoff, but I don't think they would get in over the likes of a one-loss USC Pac-12 champion and or a one or zero-loss TCU Big 12 champion. You're going to say, well, Tennessee, you know, they might beat the, they'd be favored on a neutral site against both those teams. That's fine. That's great. I still don't think I feel very good about trusting the committee enough to, you know, keep, a one-loss runner-up in the division in over the likes of a Power 5 conference champion. Like, I don't see it happening. I know a lot of people have suggested, well, Tennessee's in no matter what. They're in great shape, especially as Michigan falls out. They lose to Ohio State or vice versa, and they're in great shape. Yeah, and for the time being, until you get to that 13th data point and somebody goes out and plays really well, Next thing you know, they're knocking on the door to a college football playoff invitation as well. So uh, I think there's a lot to look at when it comes to Tennessee. But no, I do not think they're a shoe-in at the moment by any stretch of the imagination. I got a bonus question here for you. What if Michigan beats Ohio State and TCU runs and USC runs and, and everything? Would you take Ohio State or would you take Tennessee as a fourth team in the pos- in a playoff? Uh, it's a tough call. I think it depends a little bit on where Tennessee's at and ultimately Tennessee's non-conference Notre Dame or excuse me, Tennessee's non-conference in Pitt, not as impressive as Ohio State's non-conference in Notre Dame. Now, Tennessee was on the road and Ohio State was at home. So maybe that has an impact on how it's judged, but 
Ultimately, I think Ohio State would probably get the edge too because Ohio State has had more recent success. You could say, well, that's that shouldn't matter. Well, look at the committee's rankings. They had Clemson at four in the initial college football playoff rankings, and you can't still to this day, you cannot explain to me why. So I think they are somewhat influenced by what you've done in the past. And obviously that would not work out, you know, very well for the aforementioned team. 10 seconds on the clock. How many things can you name that are always growing? Your relationships, your skills, your customer base. How about businesses on Shopify? (laughs) Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a one dollar per month trial period at Shopify.com/network. All lowercase. Go to Shopify.com/network now to grow your business. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify.com/network. Starting your own small business can be a total roller coaster. Between all those bumpy twists and turns comes the actual business side of your business, which can really throw you for a loop. Luckily, with QuickBooks, you can manage your business with confidence from the start. So no matter how bumpy the ride gets, you can always stay on track. New business, no problem. Success starts with Intuit QuickBooks. Learn more at quickbooks.com. All right, let's go rapid fire through a few other games and some significant performances. So we want to make sure we get about some shout outs as well, let's give a shout out first to UCF going on the road to Tulane, getting things done. UCF quarterback and former Ole Miss quarterback, John Rice Plumley, 176 rushing yards, setting a UCF quarterback record. Congratulations, man. I mean, I thought that when you transferred to UCF, what a match made in heaven. I mean, Gus Malzahn wants that scatty, athletic quarterback that can that they can do designed runs. He wants to get you out on the perimeter. I think you're throwing it better than I ever thought that you'd throw it. So congratulations to John Rice Plumley. He's playing beautifully and has big reason why his team in UCF is well positioned to get to the college football playoff yet again. Let's also give a little love to Pitt there defensively more than anything else. How is it that you can possibly pick off not one but two passes, the first two passes of the game from Brennan Armstrong, and you take him to the house? You know how hard that is to do? <laughs> but 14 nothing without running an offensive snap there that resulted in them getting into the end zone. Two pick sixes on consecutive plays. Just absurd there with what went down for them. All right, Notre Dame survived a bit of a scare. Want to give a shout out to the Irish. Took care of business. It was not pretty. 35-32. They were in cruise control there, especially in the second half, especially in the fourth quarter, and it almost got them. They did block a punt, however, for the fifth straight game. That's their seventh on the season, I might add. That's the most by an FBS team since 2004. So they are doing one heck of a job of affecting opposing punters and getting hands on the football to give their offense the short field. They now have 74 wins against Navy in the poll era. The most by one current FBS team over another during that span. So the dominance from Notre Dame of Navy continues, even though in the second half, man, that game was a little bit longer. Navy had the momentum. They just ran out of time. Moving on next to Vanderbilt. (coughs) Excuse me. They upset number 24, Kentucky, 24-21 in Lexington of all places. That win snaps a 26-game losing streak. 
in conference play. That was the third longest in school history. Anyone want to take a guess as to who occupied the top two spots? You can probably figure out who's number two. This Vanderbilt team, by the way, had lost 26. They just ended that. They are number three. Who do you think is number two? Vanderbilt. <laughs> Vanderbilt, okay? But they were also, that would be 28-game losing streak from our five-year period from 71 to 76. But when you look at the longest streak, the longest streak in SEC conference play history in which a team had lost consecutive games, Sewanee actually holds that record. That was back in the 30s, I believe. <laughs> so either way, congratulations. Congratulations. Really is. Congratulations to Vanderbilt. Just phenomenal. Couldn't be happier for them and their fans. Also want to talk a little bit for a moment. What the heck happened to NC State, man? I mean, they fell to 2-7 and seven Boston College, 21-20. And that snaps NC State's 16-game home streak, which was the longest in school history. For BC, it's the first ranked win since 2014. So congrats to Jeff Halfley and his staff. A couple more before we get you out of here. I know you're crammed on a Monday, but we so appreciate you being with us here as we break down some of these games. Oklahoma, they lost to West Virginia on the weekend, by the way. Maybe a little hangover, maybe a little sleepy. That 11 a.m. start, we told you that was going to be a little bit of a tricky one a little bit last week, but they are now sitting at 500. They're 5-5. Five and 5-5 five. Five and five for the first time since two, uh, the first time since 19... 98. All right. 1998 since they were 500 this late in the season. Not good. 98 was, of course, the year before Bob Stoops got there. So it's been a while since they've dabbled in this level of mediocrity. Let's get to Duke. I want to finish on a high note. Okay. Duke is now seven and three after dominating Virginia Tech. 24-7, the Blue Devils are 7-3 for the first time since 2018. That's right. When I read that stat, too, I said, when the heck was Duke sitting there at 7-0, 8-0, whatever the heck they were? Either way, that is impressive. Very, very impressive to see where Duke is and to see how far this program's come under first-year head coach Mike Elko. Couldn't be happier for him. He's a great dude, and they are looking excellent. And they will find their way into the postseason yet again. And finally, how could you finish with anyone other than the UConn puppies? All right, the Husky puppies, if you will. They beat Liberty. Remember, Liberty beat Arkansas last week. But UConn beats Liberty 36-31 to become bowl eligible for the first time since 2015. They were approached about playing in the formerly disfunct St. Petersburg Bowl, but they ultimately didn't get that opportunity because of APR. UConn had a 1.2% chance based on simulations to get to a bowl game before this season. So congrats, UConn, man. That is phenomenal. Really, really happy for you. All right, final thought, y'all. We saw some incredible plays. Incredible plays in college football this past weekend, but none was bigger or more impressive than the catch from Braden Lindsey, the Notre Dame wide receiver, who basically went around 
the defender's back to secure it and then ripped it out with one hand in a true alpha dog move. I thought it was one of the coolest plays, one of the coolest catches I've ever seen because it reminded me so much of my former teammate Tyrone Prothrow reaching around the Southern Miss defender's back only to catch it and fall backwards into the end zone. One of the greatest catches, one of the most ridiculous, I guess, one of the greatest sightings of being able to concentrate. I don't know how you can see or catch something around a human being's body, but to do so is just phenomenal. So which one was better? We're going to have a Twitter poll at AlwaysCFB. Which catch was more impressive? And if you think it's Odell against the Cowboys a million years ago, you might have a case, but we're keeping it strictly to the college football world for this one because Odell could have 15 super real highlight plays. So we're going to avoid that, but either way, amazing, amazing play. Check us out at AlwaysCFB. Vote for who you think had the most impressive catch. Tyrone Prothrow at Alabama around the Florida Defender or this past weekend when Braden Lindsay caught it around a Navy defender. Just amazing play. All right, for all of us here at Always College Football, thank you so much for being with us. We can't wait to be with you again tomorrow. Might have an interview, might have a few things lined up. Either way, we're going to talk ball, just like we always do. Can't tell you how much we appreciate you. Like, rate, and subscribe. Tell your friends, too. That's the big thing. We don't have a marketing budget. So tell your friends and say, hey, y'all, check out this podcast we're talking ball in every single corner of the United States of America. And in some cases, as we learned about the podcast, we're international now. So we're very, very excited about that. So thanks so much for your support. It's been a blast to start building this thing. And I know the best is yet to come here on Always Go. Hey guys, it's Greg McElroy. Thanks for watching Always College Football. Make sure you like, rate, and subscribe to ESPN's YouTube channel and wherever you listen to your podcasts.